Every day when I get home from work, I feel so frustrated. The boss is a jerk. And I get my sticks and I go out to the shed and pound on that drum like it was the boss's head. Because I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drum all day. Bang on the drum all day is a song by Todd Rundgren. But many of us can relate to that, right? Why? Because work is hard. Work is hard. It often seems unproductive. It's often frustrating and hopeless and it's grinding repetition. It leads to frustration and what we've seen, vexation of soul. Many times we hate going to work. We wish we didn't have to. We don't want to live that way, but we don't know what to do about it. So we bang on the drum like it was the boss's head. Maybe if I just had another job, or maybe if I just had another career, or maybe if I could just retire. But we end up right back here if we're only looking under the sun. My, my mom retired about five times, I think. She was a nurse, and she just, she would say, there's only so much grass I can cut. I'm going back. See, what we need is not a different location or vocation. There's nothing wrong with bettering yourself and your job and pursuing that, but it's not going to satisfy you. Just know that. See, what we need is not a different location or a different job, or if I just had this, I'd be happy. We need a larger mission to set that job in the context of. We need a larger vision. We need a higher focus. We need a God-centered focus. What we need to do is how I titled this sermon. We need to work above the sun. We live underneath the sun, but we need to work above the sun. So we started out this book in 1, 1 and 2 and in 12, 13 and 14 showing the bookends of the book and how all is vanity. And we said that that word for vanity doesn't mean meaningless. It doesn't mean futile. It just simply means puff, temporary, vapor. It won't sustain you. It doesn't last. You can't hold on to it. You can't catch smoke. It looks solid, but when you try to catch it, there's nothing there. We've seen there's nothing new under the sun, that vanity is not what's going to satisfy us. Self-indulgence is not what's going to satisfy us long run. And today we're going to look at work and see that just working under the sun is going to lead to that vexation and frustration. But if if we work, if we look above the sun... We can have a different attitude. Main point, um, just a reminder, every day we need to get up and refocus on who we are truly working for and where our hope comes from. Find joy in working for His glory and trusting Him with the fruit. In other words, look above the sun so that you can glorify God underneath the sun. Fix your mind, in Scripture, fix your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. See, if we don't have a God-centered, gospel-centered, grace-centered, we don't have that mindset infiltrating everything we're doing, we're going to be experiencing a lot of this frustration that that Solomon is, is talking about. 
Well, let's look first at what he calls or what I'm calling and what he's saying here, the futility of working under the sun. And I said this before, but you saw how many times under the sun was repeated in just from 18 to 23. He's repeating that four times in verse 18, 19, 20 and 22. See, these things that he's describing in this first section from 18 to 23 are things that are true of us if we're living under the sun. He said, I hated all my work. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. And, and, and I've heard some people say, yeah, see, I'm like Solomon. I hate my work. We're not to stop here. We're not to hate our work just because we hate work. See, these things are true only if we have hope under the sun. If we focus under the sun, if we focus on the here and now, if we focus on the immediate benefit. He said, I hated all my work under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who comes after me. He's worked hard. He's built all these things. We saw that earlier in chapter 2. And listen, they were magnificent. His palace, his homes, the homes he built for others, the city. I mean, remember, silver and gold is like stones in Jerusalem at this time. The temple was glorious and ornate, such that when it was torn down, they built another one. The people cried. Because it was not nearly as glorious as, as Solomon's temple. He's done all these things and he's found some satisfaction in the journey we saw. But when it's complete, it, you know, ultimately it doesn't satisfy. But he's like, one of the things that frustrates me is that I've spent all this time and toil building all this stuff and I'm going to die. And somebody else is going to get it. There'll be another one come along. And he says in verse 19, who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Well, we can answer that question now, can't we? Rehoboam, his son, was not wise. And some of the judgment from Solomon's forsaking of the Lord and just the lack of wisdom of Rehoboam, that's where the kingdom splits and the trouble starts and, 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 and all of that. But who knows what we'll get when we're gone? I've toiled and I've built up all of this stuff and I have to leave it to somebody else who hasn't worked for it. He says, yet he will be the master of all I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is vanity. So I turned and gave up my, my heart to my despair. I gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is vanity. This is a great evil. See, he intuitively knows this is not right. This is not the way things should be. We shouldn't be dying. <laughs> Death is part of the curse of sin. It's not just part of the circle of life. I mean, it is. We all die, but there's a reason for that. But Solomon is saying, this is not right. This is not good. This is, this is, nothing, none of this is going to last. I'm not going to last, and I'm going to have to leave this to somebody else. This is hard. This is vanity. This is striving after the wind. He says, what has man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. And even in the night, his heart doesn't rest. Why is work so hard? 
Why is it so hard? I mean, whether you're a farmer or a doctor or there are thorns and thistles and everything because of the curse, because of the fall. Look at Genesis 3. Man decided, Adam and Eve decided to be their own God and to deny God the right to rule and to do what seemed right in their own eyes, which was following Satan. Oddly enough, rebellion against God is always following the evil one. And they fell into sin and took their posterity into sin with them. In Genesis 3, 17 and 18, it says, And Adam to Adam he said, God to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. He was a gardener. That was his job, right? To take care of the garden. God says it's going to be really hard now. Clarification. Having to work is not the part of the curse. Work is not a curse. Work is not a result of the fall. Adam had a lot of work to do before the fall. He was to tend and cultivate and expand and protect the garden. And God's worship and on a lot of things we could talk about. It was hard work, but it was joyful work because he was satisfied in God. He was satisfied to be a gardener. He didn't need a higher title to be satisfied before the fall. What, what are... Show you how we misidentify in America or in the world as Christians. What is one of the first things people ask you when you meet them? What do you do? Not who are you? Do you have a family? What do you do? And see, we go in our in our hearts and sometimes out of my mouth, we 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 will say things like, "I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a." There's nothing wrong with that. That's what you do. But don't let that be your primary identifier. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And he has blessed me to whatever your job is. See, work is a blessing. Work is part of the, the uh, original order of things that we need to work and to work hard. We just need to do it above the sun and not under it. So the curse, the frustrating nature of work, the hardness of work is what reminds us of the fall and of sin and of our need for the new heavens and the new earth which is coming and of the gospel where Christ has died for our sins to take care. He wore the thorns, remember? He, he took the crown. Why was it a crown of thorns? That's picturing that he took that curse upon himself and died for our sins. See, the frustrating nature of work is part of the curse. And no matter what you do, it will be hard, painful, sometimes boring, seemingly unproductive, maddeningly repetitive because there are thorns and thistles in everybody's garden. Whatever your garden is. Marine Corps garden or outside, doctor, plumber, president. Well, there's a lot of thorns in that one, isn't there? I wouldn't want that job. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Hardship and eventually death 
is part of the curse because man will not have God to be God, wants to be his own God, call his own shots, and reaps the results of that. So God, the fall and the curse is the reason work is hard, and that's true. No matter what we do, everything under the sun is going to have its hardship. So what is the lasting profit? Well, Solomon says anything left over after we return to dust just goes to someone else. Work hard, gather a bunch of stuff, die. Leave it to somebody else. And they potentially fritter it away. Listen to these words. These are somebody's last words. And I'll tell you who they are in a minute. Bury my body. Do not, do not build a monument. Keep my hands outside the coffin so that the world knows the person who won the world had nothing in his hands when dying. I want people to know what, that I came empty-handed into this world and likewise will go empty-handed out of this world. You might know who that is. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. The Word of God says, 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. Solomon was vexed because he had attained and built a lot of stuff that would be left to others and his foolish son would be the end of it. What happened to all that Solomon built? Where's the temple? Where's his house? Where's that kingdom? That united kingdom where silver and gold were as common as stones. Frittered away by others. Dr. Shaw had a quote in the book. He says, in many cases, according to one study, in many cases, the wealth accumulated by one person is often gone by the third generation. You know why? It's I don't know why I keep doing that with that. It's not on. It's just a puff. It doesn't last. Work under the sun has no lasting profit. It's just hard. Its results are uncertain. And death ends it all. Go home and be encouraged. You want a longer sermon this morning? John 16.33, Jesus said this, including your work. In the world, you will have trouble and suffering. Under the sun, you will have trouble and suffering. What, what is Jesus trying to give us? He's given us proper expectations. Expect hardship. Don't be surprised by it. <coughs> well, I thought this job was just going to be easy for the rest of my life. That's called delusion. Most jobs you have to work with people and you know that's not going anywhere good a lot of times. <laughs> Jesus is honest with us. He wants us to have proper expectations. He tells us we're going to have trouble and suffering. And Solomon is saying, under the sun, that's what I've found. Emptiness, trouble, suffering, vanity. It shouldn't be like this, but it is. And I work hard and I gain all these things and poof, they're gone. Leave them to somebody else. They fritter them away. 
Vanity. Chasing the wind. Struggle. Aren't you glad this is not Solomon's conclusion? That's working under the sun. That's trying to find your hope and satisfaction here. Nothing wrong with being doctors and lawyers and politicians and strap it up if you're going to be one of those. What's wrong is having that be your identity and that's where you're seeking your hope and your satisfaction and your joy and not seeking it above. So this is not Solomon's conclusion. This is not where he's taking us, but he wants to shake us. Remember, he wants to take off the rose-colored glasses. He wants to remind us where we live in a fallen world. That will disappoint us. And then he tells us to look up. Now watch this. Secondly, the joy of working above the sun in verses 24 to 26. The good life. What, how do you define the good life? Look at what the richest man who probably ever lived said the good life was. There is nothing better for a person. Nothing better for a person than that he should eat, have food, and drink, and enjoy his work. There is nothing better than working above the sun. Eat and drink. Having food and clothing with these will be content, Paul says. Content, happy, satisfied in God because of His grace. Nothing better here. Eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your work or your toil. Toil captures it better, doesn't it? Because it sounds harder. But okay, so you, Solomon, there's nothing better than this. Now, how do we do that? Work and live by looking up, looking above the sun. Look what he says. This I also I saw, now we're going to look up, he said, is from the hand of God. Eating and drinking and enjoying our work is from the hand of God. It, and so to enter into that enjoyment, we have to be looking above the sun. Look in chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13. I'll read that right quick. He says this again over here. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is God's gift to man. He said this is from the hand of God. <clears throat> you know that God wants you to be have peace? He wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to have joy. Did you know that God commands us to be joyful? And He repeats it? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I will say, rejoice. That's how we can rejoice in the Lord. Even the context of Jesus promising us trouble. John 16.33, here's the rest of it. I have said these things to you. His word to His disciples. Equipping, I have said these things to you that in Me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. Trouble. But be of good cheer. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Implications for you. Joy is found in taking the long view, the eternal view, the God-centered view, the gospel view, seeing it as a gift of God and looking to Him and being diligent about looking to Him and pursuing 
that gift in the way that he tells us to pursue it. You know, salvation is a gift of God, but it doesn't just fall on you automatically, does it? He calls on us to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if we would be saved. Joy in our toil under the sun is not just an automatic switch flip. It comes through means. And the first is seeing it as a gift from God. This is from the hand of God. Joy in trouble doesn't come from just looking under the sun. It comes from locating your meaning, your purpose, and your joy above the sun in the purposes and glory of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, for apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And textual differences, if you want to look between the King James and the newer translations, I believe the ESV is getting this right at this point. You can read Dr. Shaw's book if you want more information on that. But apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? No lasting enjoyment. No eating with joy if it doesn't come from God. But it comes through means. Now watch this in verse 26. For to the one who pleases God, who pleases Him, God, notice this, has given. Accurately translating that verb. Has given. Speaking in present tense of things that are past and complete. He has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. For the one who pleases Him. Now see, if we just back off of this text and you see some of this in the book, we know that not every Christian who walks in wisdom and joy, we know that not every Christian has it easy and we know that a lot of times the wicked people don't experience hardship in this life and, and, and that causes believers to have confusion and you see that in the Word and, and, and that's not there. But I think something else is important here. He says, to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So another way of saying the one who pleases him would be, I think, his children. It would be Christians, right? So God has given to us wisdom and knowledge. Does he just zap us with that? You get saved and you're wise and knowledgeable. <laughs> Hang around new converts for a little while. Not true. I was one, I know. The good book. The, Bible, the Word. How do we get wisdom? Where do we get knowledge? This same author talks about in Proverbs pursuing it, mining for it as it were silver and gold and precious gems. So God has given us wisdom and knowledge and we have to, the responsibility of appropriating that wisdom and knowledge through filling our hearts with His Word. And the more we fill our hearts with His Word, the more we'll walk in the joy that He's given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Wisdom and knowledge come from His revelation, His Word. And we have all things that pertain for life and godliness, and I would add, and joy through a true knowledge of Him, through His promises or through His Word. So it's there for you. Joy in the midst of trouble is there for you. If the word is interpreting your situation. Joy in the midst of a grinding job is there for you. If his word is interpreting your situation. And if your passion is him and his mission. Joy is there for you in the midst of a marriage that you're having to fight for. 
or a relationship you're having to fight for if it's done according to his knowledge and his wisdom which he's given us in his word. Listen to me. Y'all know this and I pretty much said this already. Your, your, the purpose of your job is not to give you joy. The purpose of your job is not to give you joy. purpose of your job, like anything else God brings into your life, is to make you more like Jesus as you rightly interpret it according to His Word and apply His principles. The purpose of your job is not to be your identity. It's just another tool for your sanctification and growth and grace, for you to be on mission and have the opportunity. Listen, one of the, things, one of the ways you can see your job as a Christian is on the mission field is that you as a Christian are going to come into contact with people that we never will. None of the rest of us ever will. And you are God's mission agent in that sphere of influence to take the knowledge of God, the glory of God in Jesus Christ, the gospel to those who don't know him. See, the purpose of your life is mission. The purpose of your job is mission. And, this, and what God is doing through it is making you more like Christ. He tells you it's going to be hard up front, but look above the sun so that you can see meaning and purpose in it and have joy even when it's hard. See, when we're being filled with God's wisdom, we're on good footing for joy instead of grumbling. Listen, we all have to confess grumbling, I think. But grumbling reveals unbelief. That's where grumbling comes from, complaining, grumbling. See how God treated Israel when they were grumbling and complaining against him in the Old Testament. It reveals unbelief. Are you living in his wisdom and the knowledge of him, thinking his thoughts after him, applying his word to your life and your work and your struggle? If so, you know, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome it for you. So how does your job reveal the state of your heart? Your occupation, whatever you do. How does your life reveal the state of your heart? Every time I grumble, I need to press into that and see where I'm not believing God. Well, they just frustrated me. Did you know other people don't have the power to control you like that? They just touched an idol or a hot button in your life. And believe me, kids can touch those. And they know where they're at, and they'll touch them on purpose. They're not trying to be mean. They're just being kids. And then, kids, don't be surprised if your, hair, your parents touch your hot button. Discipline. But listen, if, if, if the Word is interpreting our life, watch this. This doesn't make sense any other way. I'll give you a couple of verses. Romans 5, 3 and 4. It says, not only this, standing in grace, but not only this, we rejoice in our sufferings. What's the next word? Knowing. How do we know that suffering produces endurance and on down the line we go? Because He's told us in His Word. The better we know His Word, the more we're going to rejoice instead of grumble when suffering comes along. That seems crazy, doesn't it? I just broke my toe walking by that crazy... There we go again. No, hallelujah. God's going to use my broke toe to make me more like Jesus. He's going to provide everything I need to straighten it back out. You might want to watch where you're walking. That might be part of the lesson. 
we rejoice in our sufferings because we know. We know God. We know His Word. We know what He's up to. James 1, 2, and 3. See, it wasn't just Paul bumped his head. James says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if you just stop there and don't read verse 3, that sounds crazy. Doesn't it? But verse 3 says, "For you, now look, there it comes knowing again. For you know or knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials come into our lives to test our faith, to see if it's real, to see how much we're trusting God, to see where we're not trusting God. And just don't get so frustrated. I can't believe I did that. Well, I can and God can. And you can. Really, your wife can. Your children can. Just be instructed by it being frustrated by it you got a job that you want to bang on his head like a drum i mean a, a boss lost in sin needs christ as a savior god's going to use all that to make you more like jesus but see but the more we know know his word not just ugh, know his word the more we're going to count it all joy and rejoice in our sufferings jesus told us trouble's coming but look up i've overcome for you how did he overcome he came god and took on human nature he was born in a and 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 embedded in a feed trough. He humiliated himself all through life, being born under his own law, fulfilling it, keeping it. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He deserved only blessing, but he died to pay the penalty for our sins. He went to the cross as the Lamb of God pictured all throughout the Old Testament, so that the punishment due us went on him. And he drank that cup dry before he passed because he said, It is finished. And he went through the grave. He was under the power of death for the time, but he was raised from the grave the third day, victorious over death, hell, sin, and the trouble that you walk through every day of your life. He's cashing it in to make it make you more like Jesus. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day. And He offers salvation to you through faith. He calls you to repent, to turn and trust in Him and in Him alone. It's a free gift because He has bought it for you. And He applies it to you every day. And every trial He brings into your life, and I did say bring on purpose. Nothing's slipping past God. He's not like, whoo. Oh my, I didn't see that coming. Oh, black preacher said, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? That's true. He didn't learn anything. He sees all things coming. He brings trials into our lives. And He uses them to grow us. So in Christ, we can have peace and joy even in the midst of work that would normally be frustrating. He says in verse 26, For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge, and therefore joy as we apply that. But to the sinner, the one who rejects God and His Word, is the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one that pleases God. Ultimately, Everything will go to the one that pleases God. Why? Who inherits the earth? The meek. Who are the meek? God's children. Disciples. Followers of Christ. Under the sun there is no joy for you. But above the sun there's plenteous and growing joy. So that you don't have to say of your life, that last little section there, this is also vanity and striving after the wind. It is if you don't look to God. There's no meaning in life without God. There's no morality. There's no purpose. We're all just stardust bumping into one another. 
No one can say anybody's wrong. If there isn't a God, but there is. There isn't above the Son, and He's proved it by sending His Son and raising Him from the dead. Just a few points of application, and we're done. I want you to listen to me. Stop expecting or hoping that everything will be easy. Stop praying that everything will be easy. Because God's not going to do that. In this world, you will have trouble. Unless you ask me not to give you trouble. That's not part of that verse. Stop expecting everything to be easy. Well, listen, where did you get the idea that life or work should be easy? Please don't raise your kids to think life is supposed to be easy. Please prepare them for the hardness of the world. Give them jobs. Don't just give them money. Kids are looking at me like, shut up. <laughs> your parents should make you earn every dime you get. Because you know how life's going to treat you? You're going to earn every dime you get. And some of it you're going to lose. You don't have to know how to deal with that. You live in a fallen world. Expect life and work to be hard. Believe God's Word. Listen, and, and one thing to take away from this sermon, listen to yourself when, at all times. Speak truth to yourself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But listen when you grumble. And don't blame your grumbling on somebody else because it's not their fault. I don't care if you're married to the devil's daughter or son. Your grumbling is not their fault. That's coming out of your heart. So it, whenever you hear yourself grumbling, you, you drive a car. Some of you drive a car or kids you ride in a car. When the red light comes on, check engine light comes on on the dash, that's not an encouragement. <laughs> that's an indication of trouble. So when you hear grumbling come out of your mouth, see that as a check heart light on the da dashboard of your soul. Your eternal perspective converter has failed. You're looking somewhere other than God for your peace, hope, satisfaction, and joy. Somebody has touched one of your idols and you're barking at them. Are you grumbling? See it as a heart problem. Grumbling is a heart problem. Our hearts are clogged with unbelief somewhere when we're grumbling. Stop expecting everything to be easy. Now, here's the second one, just as important. Start expecting everything to be productive. God's not wasting time. He's not wasting trials. He's not wasting hardship. If you are his child. Now, if you're not his child, all you have is under the sun. And that's, that's as good as it's going to ever get. And it's going to get a whole lot worse after this life. Because you're going to have to answer for your sins before God by yourself. Without Jesus as your advocate. But if you're a child of God, start expecting everything to be productive. Romans 8.28, we love to quote it, but will we believe it? God works all things together. What is all things? What does that mean? Everything. God works everything together for the good of everybody. That's not what that says. God works all things together for the good of them that love the Lord, those who are called according to His purpose. God works everything together for good. Not for comfort, but for good. What? And He goes on to explain it. To make you like Jesus. To conform you into the image of Christ. 
I'm just going to read this, but I'm going to read it to encourage you to memorize it or to work on it, to think about it, or write it on a card or something. But Heidelberg Catechism, question one, summarizes the whole catechism in one question, and it's one of the most glorious statements of gospel truth condensed into a paragraph that I know of. If you're not familiar with Heidelberg, should be. And if you're not familiar with question one, you should be. Now watch this. I'm, I'm promising you, I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. We've got to move on. We've got stuff to do. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body, with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things, now look, indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. You're coming to Christ and you're growing up in him. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life through the word and makes me heartily and willing, heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's how believing that is how we live above the sun and how we work above the sun. So focus, thirdly, focus on living for God's glory because you are a child of God, because Christ died for you, because the gospel is true, proved by His resurrection. Growingly, growingly know and rest in Him through His Word. Trust Him with the future and dig hard for Christ's likeness now, for growth in grace. It comes through the Word. Dig hard in the Word. Invest this puff, this life. In eternity. Work for Him. Live for Him. Work above the sun. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Ending with this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Say, look higher than your boss, your commander, whatever. Work Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're a co-heir with Christ. If you know Jesus, you inherit everything He has inherited. You are serving the Lord Christ. When we are serving the Lord Christ, we are working above the sun. And we are able then to work under the sun, growingly in a way that glorifies Him and promotes our joy. And that takes the control that frustration and trials have over us and breaks those chains. So that we're set free to love and to love for Him. So replace your desire to bang on the drum all day with a strong devotion to work and live with open hands, knowing that the only thing you can take with you is what you place into the hands of God. Trust and rest in Him. I'm not going to finish it today. To live. To live. Hey, yes, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be our life, that we would be devoted to you, that we would be able to say with growing conviction that Christ is my life. And he has given his life for me that I might be delivered from the power of death. 
transported into your presence. Absence from the body, present with the Lord. Lord, shape us with your word. Shape us with your gospel. Deliver us from just keeping our eyes fixed below the sun in this world. Help us to gaze with our hearts to you and keep them fixed there so that in the midst of our trials and struggle, we can have growing joy, growing effectiveness, growing hope for you. But this life is a puff. But for the Christian who's looking to who is father, her father, it's not futile, it's not meaningless, it's not hopeless. Because we have been delivered from our sin. We have been delivered, therefore, from death and hell. We have hope beyond this life. Help us to live it for you. Lord, I pray that you'd convict us this week every time we grumble, either in our hearts or out loud. And not, not that we might be discouraged, but that we might hear it and see it for what it is, look in to see where our unbelief is and apply the word to it. Walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, those who don't know you, we pray that you'd be saving, drawing them to faith, granting them faith and repentance this morning. Those of us who do know you, for good Holy Spirit conviction, pointing us to you through your word that we might grow in grace. Bless us, Lord, to seek you and to love you. Thank you that you've sought us first, that we love you because you first loved us, that Christ, you have purchased us. We are yours. Help us to live in that reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.